After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey everybody, welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We've got another great show for you today, breaking down the 2021 BA organization talent rankings. They just dropped online. Go ahead and check them out, see where all 30 teams rank in terms of the quality of their farm systems. To talk about the 2021 org talent rankings, we're joined by JJ Cooper. JJ is our executive editor and really the ringleader of our organization talent rankings. We're going to take you through the process, how they're calculated, and talk about some of the teams who are rising, falling. JJ, you've been doing these for a very long time. You are the second longest tenured person at BA, if I'm not mistaken, behind a fellow co-executive editor, Matt Eddy. So you two have really been at the forefront of this for many, many, many years Take us through the process here of how these are calculated and also how it's changed over the years. Right. And I would describe it as it is a formula that then we, there is a subjective part of it as well. There are a lot of prospect valuation studies that have been done over the years and the numbers, you know, can can change a little bit here and a little bit there, but the overarching thing that stands out is, is that when you look at it, Depth is nice. Depth is useful, but stars are what stand out. Like the ability to produce a, you know, a, an impact player has much more of a tie to winning, you know, big league games than the ability to produce major leaguers. And one of the things that stands out with that, and it's not perfect because there are absolutely impact players who never make top hundred, but if you think of it as a slope, the chances of a top, the number one prospect ending up as an impact player are much higher than the chances of the number 10. The chances of number 10 are much higher than chances of 50. And especially then, this is where this gets a little bit tricky for people is, is, hey, this team has this many players in the top 100. This team only has this many. Why does this team rank ahead of this team? And the simple answer is, is that, when we're doing this valuation, even though we cut it off at 100, you know, we're ranking, I mean, this year we put actual numbers to 1,200 players and we go beyond that. Our depth charts, if you do include that, I mean, we're really kind of thinking in some minor way at least about 1,500, 2,000 players when we're doing this. Now, let's be honest, number 2,000 does not move the needle on your org talent rankings one iota, but, we, but there's, they're all involved in this. Well, the difference between number 75 and 125 when we're doing this is really very minimal because studies have shown, if you look back at the historical data of Baseball America top hundreds, the difference between 75 and 100 on the list is way less than the difference between 1 and 25 or 25 and 50. And our rankings reflect that. So I would say that the formula there's a valuation to it. We put it for every player and we base it on the BA grades. But the key thing to know with that is if you have top 10 prospects, if you have top 25 prospects, you're going to do really well in our organization talent rankings because those, we see this at the major league level. We see this reflected. If you want to get pride to pry Wander Franco from the Rays, you know, hands right now, if you want to, you know, see what you can do to get Christian Pache from the Braves, 
the cost is going to be massive and, and that we see that because, you know, again, if you know, you talk about stars in their primes who are getting paid a lot of money, you can get those for less than those guys. A lot of times the valuations we do or talent rankings kind of reflect that we put everyone that we have into a formula. It spits out a, basically a valuation. We line that up. We marry that with data that shows Here's how many 55 pluses. Here's how many 60 pluses. Here's how many 65 pluses. Here's how many 50 high. I always call it the 50 high line when you talk about the BA grades in the handbook. The 50 high line is the line that everyone, you draft a player in the second round, he's a 50 high probably. Everyone should have some of those. You know? So we put all that together and then we meet and we further hash it out. The short version of that, once again, is every player in the BA Prospect Handbook, when you get your copies, you'll see this, has a grade and a risk attached. Every grade and risk has a value, a numerical value. We assign that numerical value to the player based on the grade. We tally them all up, and it's a point system. Whoever has the most points at the end, 1 to 30, forms the basis of our organization talent rankings. Now, I would say that for 25 or so of the 30 teams, it's straight math. It is where you land in those rankings, your total points. That's where you are in the org talent rankings. There is a little bit of a, use the word subjective. And, and I think what the next step of this is I want to lay out for people is the math is the basis of what we do. And for 80, 90% of the teams, it's a straight math. There are a few teams when we look at the final rankings and the point standings and say, okay, using our knowledge and our expertise of these players, talking to evaluators around the game, general managers, scouting directors, high-ranking officials, where the points might not line up. And it's pretty clear that sometimes it's because there's an issue of depth versus top of the system disparities. And we might make a tweak and say, okay, even though the point system spat out team X above team Y, we might want to flip them just because it's really, really top heavy. And based on the valuations, the stars are weighted a little bit heavier. But when we make those adjustments, it's one or two spots. No team mm -hmm. comes out at 18th in our point standings, and then we move them up to eighth or ninth. Any adjustments that are made based on more subjective data as opposed to the objective point systems, again, it's one or two spots. It's very minor. No one has run up or down five or six spots just because we think, oh, this team's actually stronger than this. The math is really, really the core of this and any adjustments based off of that are very, very small. Yeah, and I would say, you know, it is something where it is adding that little bit of nuance. It's not moving them up willy-nilly or up and down, but it is adding that little bit of nuance because the other thing that does stand out with this is, is sometimes you'll have a group from eight to 12 and they're all massively packed together. And then you'll have a group from 13 to 15, but the gulf between, you know, eight to 12 and 13 to 15, the gulf between from 15 to 13 is way smaller than the gulf between 12 and 11. And so we've seen examples this year, the Rockies swing a trade and it wasn't, you know, we've talked about this on the podcast. It wasn't like they brought in a ton of talent, but they did add in some talent from the Cardinal system. We make the adjustments. We look at it. And it's like, Oh, they didn't move up a spot from where we had them in the prospect handbook. Not because they, their farm system's not better, but because there was, a there was a gap there between them and the next team. And even after you add in this new talent, there's still a gap there between them and the next team. So there's, it's, it, it, you look at it and you see one through 30. And sometimes the difference, what we just talked about is different than the one through 100. But the difference between one and five maybe different, more diff, you know, there may be a bigger gulf there than the difference between six and 15, just depending on how this all lines up. And again, there are constantly adjustments being made. The point values that are assigned to players based on their grade, those grades come from hours and hours and hours of reporting and comprehensive discussions with officials about what these players are, who they can be, and the proper grade for them. The valuations are rooted in as you mentioned, years and years and years of study about the relative valuation of prospects at certain grades, at certain levels, and it's the point system adding them all together. Again, there are definitely cases where in retrospect, some systems have turned out to be better than thought of at the time. But I think even if you look at some of those, 
it's okay. This, you know, one example I like to give is there was a run of angel systems and from about 2013 to 2016 that were 30th, 30th, 29th, and 30th. And if you go back and look, they actually produced some better players than they were given credit for at the time. But even if you bake those in and you do retroactive farm system rankings, okay, they're probably more 26th. It's not like, oh, this team was 30th and in reality they should have been 10th. We're talking about for the most part, the margin of error with a lot of these, as we've studied over and over and over again, it's four or five spots, maybe. Again, this is pretty comprehensive and it's rooted in data and years and years of precedent and history. It's not, oh, I like these guys and I think they should be higher. It's, it's really, really math-based. And I think it's something that we're going to go into where there's some disparities and where there's cases of, okay, this team could be higher. But again, we're talking about a couple spots here, a couple spots there. It's not anything massive of this team realistically should have been 10 spots higher or anything like that, or any changes were made were anything that drastic. They weren't. It was, again, as you mentioned, some nuance to it based on expertise and possible disparities in the data, but it's, it's one, two, three spots max. With that, JJ, the Rays are our number one team in our organization talent rankings for the second straight year. And we put together our first organization talent rankings in the prospect handbook, which goes to press in December. What you see online is released in February and takes into account all the trades that have been made in between December and February. The Rays were the number one team in our organization talent rankings in December before the Blake Snell trade, where they acquired Luis Patino, Cole Wilcox, and Blake Hunt. After that trade, the gap just got wider between them and the second place team. The Rays were, just to be frank, a very, very easy pick to be number one, particularly after the trade. When you look at this system now, we talk about star power and depth. This is the system above all others right now that I think has the best combination of both. I actually, it's funny, we talk about star power, but it's the depth of the Rays that really stands out to me. And I say that partly because the the 11 through 20 in this system is... It's kind of insane. Um, Greg Jones, you know, is a middle of the, you know, he's a, he's a guy who's in the ranks in the teens for the Rays. Taylor Walls is the guy who ranks in the teens. These are guys who I wrote up other systems where I would have been kind of looking at, you know, Greg Jones, if you look at his, just, just let's just lay out Greg Jones. It's a first round pick, extremely athletic, had a good debut in, you know, in 2019 and, then they get to play in 2020. And he's a shortstop who could also play center field. And okay. And he's got power, some power potential. What's not to like? I mean, again, there's, there's risk. There's all these kind of things, but this is, if you just describe that, that's the kind of guy that you describe as a top 10 prospect. Here's the best example of that. Blake Hunt was set to be number 10 in the Padre system, which we have as the number six system in the game right now. So clearly still a top tier system. Blake Hunt was their number 10 prospect. After the trade to the Rays, you slotted him in at number 26 in their system. And again, he could I, be 23, I, he could I, be I might be a little higher in Blake Hunt. I could see as high as 19. I don't know if I could craft an argument just based on the other talent around him in the system to be higher than 19. So that gives you some sense of the depth we're talking about here, a top 10 prospect and another top 10 system is in the 19 to 20, you know, 25, 26 range in this system. I I will make a prediction on this podcast right now. We are going to get yelled at at some point about someone who's in the Rays 11 through 20 about how we utterly underranked someone. And that, you know, okay, it's probably going to be true because I can construct paths for Taylor Walls, for Seth Johnson, for, you know, Kevin Padlow, for Greg Jones, for Joe Ryan. These are guys who it's not, it's very plausible for these guys to have, you know, regular big league, regular type roles. But I I just, you know, we just, as you mentioned, Cole Wilcox is nine. Cole Wilcox in a lot of systems, you'd be saying, okay, this is the guy, how much money did he get in that draft? He was basically got first round money. He has first round pedigree. You could really treat them as if you want to, as basically a back of the first round, early second round type college pitcher with, you know, significant upside. Yeah, that's nine. You know, that's, that's, that's kind of what you're talking about here. And the other thing that you have to, you know, 
Josh Fleming, 24, uh, you know, Ian Seymour, 30. Guys who are left off this list who I could quite easily construct big league role, you know, futures for. What this system has is a whole lot of arms and a whole lot of up-the-middle type players, which that's a great thing to have. Now, the one thing I'll say about it is they have a lot of up-the-middle type talents who are ready for double A or higher. The clock is kind of ticking on that a little bit because there are only so many at-bats. It's not like that this is a team that you look at and say, oh, they don't have anyone to play up the middle of the major league level because they still have Kiermaier in center. They still have Willie Adamas at short. They have Brandon Lau at second. Okay. That's not like something where anyone's saying, oh, one of these guys has to get moved out right away. And by the way, they have other guys who can play center also. But when we talk about Wander Franco and Vidal Brujan and Xavier Edwards and uh, Greg Jones and Taylor Walls and Josh Lowe, those are all guys, you know, in a lot of these cases who they're not going to be the lower levels of the minors. They're knocking on the door. There's kind of an expiration date. Taylor Walls is a very interesting prospect. Taylor Walls is the best defensive shortstop of all these guys we're talking about, you know, probably. But you have to have a role for him. If Taylor Walls, you know, since is sent to AAA to play shortstop every day, great. But you don't want him sitting on the bench or playing a utility role because, oh, we've got Wander Franco playing shortstop every day. Even as with, with emphasizing versatility and moving guys around and all that, I kind of feel like the Rays are going to have some moves before too long because you just you, you don't want to send guys back to levels they've already conquered and they don't have enough at-bats at some point. This is a very good problem to have. This is a problem that 25 to 28 of the teams in baseball be like, oh, please, can we have this problem? But if I was going to you know, be a little Debbie Downer on this, I mean, that's the one thing that stands out to me is you can find always find you know room for arms, but if you've got four or five guys who can play shortstop and second base, okay, you got to figure out a way to you know you don't want to move them all off shortstop. That's where some of the value is. Well, and realistically, the way you fix that is you package some of these prospects to go mm -hmm. get some impact big leaguers to put you over the top. But that's not how the Rays operate. If anything, but, they're going to do the opposite and probably trade away Brandon Lau and Willie Adamas, which, again, you're perennially playing for the future. There's a certain point you have to keep your young studs who are in the well, major leagues. And, and we're going to have to see. In a perfect world, the Rays would package some of these guys, just as we've seen the Padres do, and just as we've seen other smaller market teams feeling like they're ready to compete do. The Royals, again, are a great example. But they're probably not going to do it. And that's something that realistically they're going to have to do if they want to win a world series. We'll see. But from a pure farm system perspective, this is the elite. This is the number one. There's no one else. Again, even close. It's they're the clear one. Then there's a conversation you know, two to five. They're, they're a bunch closer together, but again, it's pretty straightforward. The Padres at number six were one of the teams that we had a lot of discussions about because they have traded away so many prospects uh, as part of our organization talent rankings feature in the upcoming magazine issue. I went back and cataloged it in the last 16 months. So since November, 2019, the Padres have traded away 29 prospects as well as 12 young recently graduated major leaguers, 41 players total, 29 of them currently prospect eligible. Anytime you do that, you are going to drop in the farm system rankings because you have taken out a lot of talented players. However, they did that to acquire standout major leaguers who have given them what on paper looks like a World Series contender of a roster. Again, a lot has to go right. Health-wise, you need to see Will Myers and Eric Hosmer take the improvements they showed in 2020 and hold them over 162 games in 2021. So there's obviously a lot that still has to play out, but just on paper, this is one of the elite teams in Major League Baseball, and they've accomplished that by trading a lot of these players. With that, they are going to drop in the farm system rankings. A very, very worthy trade-off. It's just a matter of how much. Realistically, when we tallied up the points and, and where they stood, because they still have seven top 100 prospects, including elite guys in Mackenzie Gore, in C.J. Abrams, the range was six to nine. That's really the, the lowest there was an argument to put them was nine. But ultimately, as we talked about, and this is where some of the nuance came in, they moved up a little bit over some teams that points-wise come out ahead simply because there's seven top 100 prospects here. 
Yeah, and that's the thing is, is that this is a system that is headed towards a pretty steep decline in the ways that I, I would say is what you want to see an organization do. I, it makes a whole lot of sense that an organization, which, by the way, broke through at the major league level last year and made moves last year. You just, you just detailed it. They've traded 41 players. Why did they trade 41 players? Because they wanted to get the big league club which needed help last year for the postseason run. And they got guys who will help them not just last year, but are going forward the, you know, Austin Nola and Mike Clevenger, who they, they won't have in 2021, but they'll have back in 2022 and, and other guys, they made moves like that. The other thing that, that stands out about this is, is that most of what the Padres have traded. Yes. Will it impact their farm talent rankings a little bit? Organization talent rankings? Absolutely. However, they're guys who, simply did not have a role for them. You know, you only have, you have 650 plate appearances, give or take, at every position around the diamond. If you have, you know, Fernando Tatis Jr., and you have coming up behind him, C.J. Abrams, and by the way, you have Manny Machado over at third base, and by the way, you have Jake Cronenworth and Hassan Kim and more at second base. Well, you could trade a shortstop or two or three. If those are the guys who slot behind CJ Abrams and Fernando Tatis, them sitting in your farm system, basically growing stale at some point, doesn't really do you a whole lot of good. And that's one of the things I thought that what the Padres did, this is where we talk about, I mean, we think organization talent rankings are useful. They're a very useful tool. At the same time, we always see the quote, you know, that the GM who talks about, we want to win a World Series, not Baseball America's organization talent rankings, you know. And we agree. You're 100% right. Actually, yeah, we agree. We agree. <laughs> you know, we agree. Ideally, we love to see when teams win our organization talent rankings and then go on to win a World Series. We love when you see, like, hey, that 2011 Royals team, Blue Wave, and then 2015, they win the World Series. Like, yep, BA readers were seeing this coming. Cool. You know, when we say, go back to the first year we ever did this, you say like that 84 Mets list going old school, that 84 Mets list was like, oh, they've got Dwight Gooden and they've got Ron Darling and they've got, you know, Kevin Mitchell. And, you know, you have these guys and then you turn around and it's like, oh, they won the World Series in 86. That's what we're trying to do with this. But that said, the Padres, we can predict it right now. We wrote it today. This Padres ranking is going to fall off a cliff over the next two years. Why? They're going to graduate the Mackenzie Gores and the Luis Campusanos and the Hassan Kims and the you know, Ryan Weathers and those guys. These guys are going to graduate. The guys coming behind them are not as good. They may develop a couple of guys, but they, those guys were added when they were picking at the top of the draft. Those as some of the guys that they still have the system, they trade a lot of them away, were added back in the old international system where they could spend $70 million to bring in an incredible haul of international talent in one year. They can't do that now. And that's okay. But that means that, yes, when these guys leave, the next group is not going to rank in the top five, the number one, number two, number three in the farm system rankings. But at the same time, I mean, you're, you follow them even more closely than I do. How many openings, barring significant injuries, this is the team that you can kind of look at a, a lot of positions around the diamond and a lot of the spots in the rotation and say, well, they're set for the next two or three years. Realistically, the only potential opening is in left field. If Tommy Pham struggles to stay healthy and he's also a free agent after next year, uh, Jerks and Profar again stepped up very nicely last year, but we have to see what he's able to do over 162 games. He has not been able to perform to that level over a full season yet in his career. But yeah, no, I mean, they're, they're in really, really good shape for the next two, three years. And we're going to have this conversation later when we talk about some of the teams at the bottom of this organization talent ranking. In two years, if the Padres have the number 30 farm system, every member of the Padres organization should give themselves a high five and say, hey, great job. We did everything right. Because if that's the case, that means they've graduated these guys to the majors, traded away guys for impact players, and are probably competing for a World Series, which is the point of all this. And we've talked about the farm system rankings are a strong predictor of playoff success. I wrote about this a few years ago, teams that ranked number one in our org talent rankings. Uh, now, if you include the Rays the last couple of years have made the postseason within two years of that designation. 
15 of the last 16 years. And the only team that didn't make it within two years of that designation was the 2011 Royals, who in years three and four made the World Series and won the World Series. So these are great predictors of future success. When that success comes, your system drops. But again, if it dropped for the right reasons, who cares? And I think, you know, if someone asked me that in the chat, it's like, how worried should I be? The Padres farm system is going to be, you know, going to drop. I'm telling you right now it's going to drop and you should not care. It, it, again, it's just, it's the life cycle. It's about backfilling and reloading. And we're going to talk about this more when we get down to the nationals. And and we've had this conversation with the Cubs and the Red Sox, but as of right now with the players, they still do have in their farm system that are eligible as prospects. This is still a very, very good system because they have those top seven. This was very clearly still a top 10 farm system. Again, they're still in great shape with some of the guys they have. JJ, one team that did not crack the top 10 that finished just outside of it was the Marlins. They checked in at number 11, despite having six top 100 prospects. Take us through why they ended up at number 11, as opposed to higher above some other teams who had fewer top 100 prospects. And this is uh, kind of a useful thing of what we were just talking about there, which one thing I, I would start with is, is that these, there are groups that are kind of grouped pretty close together. And I would say that the Marlins are the back of a group that's grouped pretty close together. But just because, say, like, let's take an example, they have more top 100 prospects than the Indians. However, the depth of the Indian system is, to me, significantly superior to the Marlins' depth. I would say significantly. And on top of that, the Marlins have, you know, guys at the back of the hundred, top hundred, that aren't in a different area code than the guys for the Indians who didn't make the hundred. Those aren't that far apart. You know, you don't say that Bo Naylor is in a different group of prospects than the guys for the, the you know, he's slightly less ranked. But the thing that's really that just stands out about it is, is, I just, uh, I, I think we've, I used this example in a conversation we had online or whatever. Um, but you look at like Tanner Burns, who ranks 16th on the Indian system. Tanner Burns would rank 10th probably on the Marlins list. And I, I bring him up because this is a guy who's useful. He's interesting. He's in an Indian system that I, I really like the chances that Tanner Burns may develop into something more because this is something, you know, oh, You've got a college pitcher who really knows how to pitch and he's going into Cleveland system. Cool. That's something that they do a really good job with. But you look even further down, you look at the Josh Wolfs, the, you know, Isaiah Greens, the Lenny Torreses. These are guys in the twenties for the Indians. And those are guys who I really like a lot of these guys. I think there's a lot of potential here. These are guys who, if you put them in the Marlin system, they would rank significantly higher, I would argue. And so Again, we look at top-end talent, we look at depth. In this case, I do think it's one where the Marlins system is absolutely improved compared to what it was a few years ago. That said, I still think when you look at the depth of their system compared to the teams that are just ahead of them, I'm taking the depth, and I don't think there's that much different in the top-end talent either. Yeah, so the Marlins have five of the top 82 prospects. The Indians have four of the top 82 prospects. And then, as you mentioned, the Indians' depth is just much, much, much stronger than the Marlins currently is. Again, the Marlins are moving in the right direction. This is a very good system. As we've talked about, a lot of these teams here are grouped pretty close together, 8, 9, 10, 11 in particular. You could throw 7 in there as well if you want. So I think if someone wanted to make the argument that the Marlins should be you know, a little bit higher, I'm not going to sit here and tell anyone they're crazy. But it just kind of looking at it, as you mentioned, that the depth is a little bit of a separator. Just based off some of the reactions and statements made by Marlins fans, I think they're overestimating how deep their system is. And again, there is depth here. This is a good system. But as you mentioned, once you get to the number 10 prospect in this system, you're already talking about guys who project as contributors, not really everyday full-time guys. And there are some sleepers here. You look at a guy like a Peyton Burdick who's in the teens. That's someone that could really pop in a year. But you really very quickly get into the maybe he's a, a light-hitting utility guy. Maybe he's a, a platoon outfielder or there's just a lot of uncertainty here, whether it's a big strikeout rate or super young or pitchers throwing strikes. 
I think there's an overestimation amongst Marlins fans about how deep this system is compared to some of the others. And as you mentioned, the Indians example, Tanner Burns, who's in, you know, 16th in the Indian system was a high draft pick this year from a major college program has a lot of believers that, yeah, this is a, a solid big league rotation member. And that same level of confidence does not exist amongst evaluators for the Marlins prospects. Once you start getting, you know, 10 and below. So that's where there's a separation. But again, they're in range. This is a very good system. When you looked at the grades and the realistic roles in the major leagues, uh, talking to evaluators across the game, again, general managers, pro scouting directors, high ranking officials who have the 30,000 foot view. This was pretty much where it ended up. And again, really, really good system. I don't want to in yeah, any solid shape system. or form say that solid. it's not, and it's moving in the right direction. Yeah. Solid system. But at the same time, you know, I feel pretty comfortable about where they are. I mean, I, again, I, I think that this is a system that it is moving in the right direction. Absolutely. At the same time, I don't feel like when you get to the teams on this list that you're looking at a lot of guys, I like Peyton Burdick too. A lot of these guys are guys who, I mean, they've got, I'm not saying they don't have shots to be regulars, but they're going to have to be significant steps forward to become future big league regulars. And you are in a range where, you know, again, we talk about the, the 50 high line. We're beyond that in the teens on the Marlins list. Like to put a comparison, giving a little sneak peek if you haven't gotten your handbook yet, but like you talk about the Rays and again, the number one system, but the, you're in the entire teens are filled with guys who we rank as a 50, which is everyday regular with the high risk or better. You're, you're done with that at number 10 on the Marlins list. You're not done with that at number 10 on Cleveland's list. There are other teams above them. So that's kind of where we, you know, kind of slot them on that, you know, and I, I do think that that kind of, they fit pretty well there. JJ, one of the teams that's been very, very busy in the interim between when we sent the handbook to press in December through now is the Pirates. We talked about the Padres making a lot of their trades since then that moved them down from where they ranked in December in the organization talent rankings in the prospect handbook. The Pirates were a team who have moved up because they have traded away Josh Bell, Jamison Tyone, Joe Musgrove. They've made their major league team worse. They're going full throttle into a rebuild. The farm system has ticked up. We plugged in the new prospects, their new grades. It significantly enhanced the depth of the system. You'll see when you get your prospect handbooks where they were before to where they are now. They've moved up, but it's only about two or three spots. They've added a lot of prospects, but a lot of them are teenagers who are very far away. There's a lot of risk there. And as such, the points valuations are not overwhelming. So again, they're moving up, but What's going to move them up even higher is if these guys successfully make the jump to low A full, or full season ball for that matter. And the guys who were in the class A levels make the jump again, successfully to double A. If that happens, even with the expected graduation of Cabrian Hayes, I do think this is a system that a year from now could be significantly higher, particularly when we do our midseason rankings and you're talking about the addition of the number one overall pick in the 2021 draft. That helps. But no, I, I think that they, they diversified their prospect portfolio and that's useful. And, you know, if you kind of look at it that way, I, I like what they did. I, I felt like if you look back at the last couple of years, if you want to, we didn't love it at the time, but if you really wanted to, to now have with the benefit of hindsight, kind of hate the Garrett Cole trade. Well, here's why you hate it. They got guys who are big leaguers, but they're, they ended up, and they kind of look like this at the time, they're run-of-the-mill big leaguers. Colin Moran has had a big league career. It's not like they didn't get anything for him, you know, for, for Garrett Cole. But the Colin Morans of the world, the Jason Martins of the world, guys like that, you're – I mean, Joe, Mus Amphi Joe Musgrove's been solid, but yeah. you're still talking about an ERA plus of 96. He's essentially been a league average pitcher. Again, I think there's more in there. I think the Potter is going to unlock it. He'll be the next Pirates right. pitcher to be better when he leaves. But over the course of his career, the majority of which has come with the Pirates, he's been essentially a league average pitcher. But and Colin Moran has essentially been, you know, again, a, a league average solid big leaguer. 
He's the guy who, when you get to the point where you're like, okay, is he going to get non-tendered this year or not? Thought, I wouldn't go that guy, far. He's, he's been better. He's, he's been solid. He's been a tick above average. The point is you're getting average players and not stars for a pitcher. You need this team needs stars. Right. That's what I'm saying. That's where this is the difference. In oh, the, and what I'm saying process. is this. Yeah, I'm, I'm saying you need – the Pirates need stars. They're not going to get their stars on the free agent market. They're not going to – the only ways that they get stars is they draft and acquire – they draft and develop them. They sign them on the international market and develop them, or they trade for someone else and develop them. And usually to do that, like, again, O'Neill Cruz has not paid off for them yet, but O'Neill Cruz trade by the previous regime was taking a big swing. That was taking a guy who you say, there's a, let's just say, again, ran, I'm arbitrary numbers. There's a 50% shot this guy never turns out, okay? But there's a 20% shot he turns out to be a impact player in the major leagues or a 10% shot. That's something they needed to do. They've done that. I think more like with these trades, they've taken players instead of getting the guy who's in double A AA or triple A, who has a very high likelihood of finding a big league role. They've gone instead for the guys who in many of these cases are far away. Some of these guys this will be the last time that a casual fan ever thinks about them. I hate to say that, but some of these guys, they're going to hit full season ball and struggle, and that's it. However, they took guys who also have plausible paths to being impact guys, and they need impact guys. And when you add in what they've done those trades to the Quinn Priesters and the Tanaj Thomases, that's where you start to get to the Jared Jones. That's where you start to get guys where it's like, okay, there's at least paths with some of these guys. I like, yeah, I do. I like where the system's going. I, I'm going to like it even more. It's not just that they pick one, but you, you, when you pick one, you pick one, and then you pick a lot of guys high up in every round. And so that means that they're going to have a multitude of guys who are very good, useful prospects added to this. And they're probably – you know, let's be honest, when they get to July this year, where they're going to be, they don't have a whole lot left to trade. But if they have anything, if they have a reliever or two who've had a good year and have developed some value in the trade market, it's not like they're going to be holding on to anybody you know, who's a big league veteran because this is a team that almost assuredly is going to be sitting at the bottom of the division. They're in that, ac- you know, that acquisition phase. I do think that they'll rank significantly higher next year. Yeah, absolutely. I think what stands out to me about the trades they've pulled off, again, they haven't acquired anyone who slots in as a top five prospect in their system. The top five is the same as it was. But once you start getting beyond that, it's just much, much, much stronger of a group. There's more guys where you say, yeah, something really good can come out of this guy. I think if you look at what the Pirates top 30 looked like, really go back to even before the Rule 5 draft where they added Jose Soriano, you know, you were getting down to number 12. Then after that, you're like, I don't really know about this guy. And then by the time you got to 20, you're like, yeah, there's just not a lot here. Whereas now between the players they added in the Rule 5 draft, all the trades they've pulled off since then, you go down to number 21, you're like, yeah, no, there's something here. A guy who you can see a path for doing something good. And you know, even down to 26, you're like, yeah, there's a shot. So I think they've just done a good job of adding – a significant number of players who have a chance to really help them in the future. Are all of them going to make it? As you said, definitely not. We know that. Absolutely but not. If two, three, four of them do, you're in much better shape than you otherwise would have been. All right, JJ, we're going to dive into the back half of our org talent rankings. First, we're going to take a quick break. And we're back. All right, JJ. So moving into the back half of the org talent rankings right now, you have a piece up at BA.com right now looking at six farm systems who project to rise in the coming year and three who project to fall. One team that wasn't listed, but I do think is a system that could rise in a big way in the next year is the Diamondbacks. There's a lot of talent here. They're currently at 16 on the org talent rankings in a lot of ways, just because there's a lot of volatility. Four of their top five prospects have yet to play above the class A levels, but these are very talented players who are all in the top 100. So if they make that jump, plus you have some interesting guys lower in the system, the Blake Walstons of the world, the Slade Chaconis of the world, Bryce Jarvis, their first round pick last year, it's not hard to see this system rising. So I think this is a case too of when you look at the org talent rankings and you say, yes, they're in the 16 to 30 group as opposed to the one to 15 group, 
but this is still a very good system that I think has a lot of talented players. And if we just see them make that jump, I don't think it's hard to envision this being a top 10 system a year from now, especially when you consider they're going to have the sixth overall pick in the 2021 draft on top of it. Right. And I would say if you could have easily added them to that group, I, I don't disagree with what you're talking about here. I do think they are one of the teams that was hurt most by the lack of a minor league season. Now at the same time, you know, I, I, if I'm listening to this and I'm being cynical, it's like, well, if you all believe that, then why don't you rank them there already? And uh, the, the caveat I would say is, is that these are guys in many cases who we could be a year from now, if you, you know, fast forward and I'm hoping that everything's in a better spot a year from now, you know, we're, we've seen a lot of games. We're not, you know, all stuck in our houses and all that pandemic's gone, all that. But if we're talking a year from now, the other possibility that is a possibility is, is that these young, high-ceiling, high-risk players, several of them, it really struggle. And so there is a variance here. There is a risk here that we'll have to see how it plays out. But absolutely, this is a team. There are teams who sit in this kind of middle ranks who they're gonna, they're, their best hope is to be sitting in the middle ranks again next year because they're kind of filled with guys who's like, yeah, that guy's okay. This is a system who it's like, yeah, that's the guy who could be a top 100 prospect or he could be not in the top 500 a year from now. And they've got a number of those guys, you know, and so there's more variance with it, but they're absolutely, the Christian Robinsons of the world are guys who, I mean, I think like we've had like five conversations about Christian Robinson, I feel like in the last like couple of months. And it always seems to circle around to, man, I wish that he had gotten to play a full season in 2020 so that we knew how well the skills are catching up to the tools because the tools are really good. But, you know, that's one of the things we have to see is there's questions with that. And so we will know a lot more a year from now, which could absolutely mean that these, you know, that they rank a lot higher. And as you're right, you know, I, I tried when we put the list together not to just basically pick the teams who pick one through six, one through five, one through six of the draft. But that is a way that you absolutely, there is a certain bit of math to this. You pick in the top five, you should be apping, adding a top hundred prospect right there. And that helps you because, you know, a team picking 25 to 30 doesn't get to add a top five prospect in the draft for that year. Now, a year from now, the Dodgers will have pulled off their magic and whoever they'll take in it, you know, the back of the first round will have, gotten a lot better and he may be a top under prospect but the d-backs are a team that's going to get better and also i think they're going to get better because they're also a team that's not going to graduate much from this system either yeah dalton varsus should graduate he's still prospect eligible for us at ba he's no longer rookie of the year eligible because of a service time component but uh he'd be the only major guy that would graduate so yeah again this is this is a system with a lot of talent in it just have to see it make the jump. And again, it's not hard to foresee that happening. This is a good system. Don't let the fact that they're 16th necessarily make you think that it's not. It's just a lot of these guys have to make the jump. JJ, in the hierarchy of where you want to be as an organization, first is good big league team, good farm system. Second is good big league team, bad farm system. Third is bad big league team, good farm system. And the last place you want to be is bad big league team, bad farm system. Right now, there are two teams who are in that last year. The Rangers, who posted the second worst record in Major League Baseball last year and are currently in the back 10 of our organization talent rankings. And the Rockies, who are coming off back-to-back fourth place finishes, just traded the face of their franchise and are also in the back 10 of our organization talent rankings. What needs to happen for these two teams to rise? We picked the Rangers as one of our teams that could really take a big jump over the next year. I, I think that they're kind of more positioned to do this. And we, everything I just said about the Diamondbacks, you could probably triple it when we talk about the Rangers. And I say that because the, the Rangers have, I mean, let's just start with, no team has had more problem with injuries at the minor league level no team has come close to having the problem with the injuries at the minor league level. So a, the Rangers need to be healthy because I mean, they've had stretches where pretty much it, 
it's not an exaggeration to say that almost every premium pitching prospect they have, there's a stretch where it's like they all went down with elbows injuries. And almost, again, I'm not going to say everyone, but almost across the board. And from a developmental standpoint, that's a killer. Because even if, again, there is an attrition rate, you have Tommy John surgery. If you have 10 pitchers who have Tommy John surgery, 10 are not going to make it back to the way they were pre-injury. But go on top of that, the minute you have Tommy John elbow injuries that require Tommy John, you are talking 18 months on average that it takes to get back to where you were before. But on top of that, depending on when you have your injury, depending on the, the severity of your injury, often there is a time where you try to rehab the injury before you have the Tommy John. So in some cases, it's 24 months. So you are talking, it is one and a half to two to sometimes even more than two seasons of lost development time, which doesn't mean it goes away and they never can get it back, but it does mean they aren't helping you during that time if you're an organization. So they have that. Then they have the draft that they had last year, which is an idiosyncratic draft, is I think the way we described it in our piece today. It was non-consensus. They took guys who other teams did not have on their board. Now, that does not mean Evan Carter, I did a lot of calling, and I found other teams who would have taken Evan Carter. I found a lot of other teams who said, we were not going to draft Evan Carter anywhere. That doesn't mean Evan Carter can't be a good player. If the Rangers are right on some of these guys, well, then that could help them move up because maybe they did. They were smarter in the industry on this in a very unusual draft where maybe they had better information on guys like Evan Carter. Maybe they'd seen him later, see his development more than other teams. But at the same time, it could also go the other way where, oh, okay, you thought that, you, that these guys were here. The industry thought they were less than that. And if the industry's right, well, that's some risk to those, some of those picks. But put it all together, I do think that they have guys coming back from injury. They have some high ceiling guys who have been derailed by injuries in the past or coming back. They have some high ceiling guys who were not consensus guys like Evan Carter I keep talking about. They have all that going together. And then they're going to pick high again this year. I do think this is a system that's going to get better or it should get better because of all those factors. I look at the Rockies system and let's start with the Rockies have had have produced more talent over the last decade than the Rangers have. But that said, I look at the system right now and it feels to me way too filled with corner infielders. A lot of whom are really look like first base types who have a chance to be okay. And that, you know, I would like to see more up the middle guys. I would like to see more, you know, big arms. You know, I'd like to see, it doesn't feel like a system to me that is a year from now going to be in a much better place than where we are right now. You know, agree or disagree. Well, I think first we have to address the reason why are these teams here? Why, why are these teams in this position where you're here? near the bottom of the standings with the bad farm system. So for the Rangers, the first part of that is they were highly successful at the start of last decade, five playoff appearances and seven seasons, back-to-back world series runs. And they traded away a lot of their prospect depth to go get some guys, Cole Hamels being a prime example, and it was the right move for them to make. So that's going to be part of it, but they've been unable to backfill because they have not drafted. Well, the Rangers have had 22 first or supplemental first round picks since 2009. Only one of them, has a career war of one or more. That's Joey Gallo, one of 22. And some of them are recent picks who haven't had time yet, but a lot of the guys who were that, they're not doing so hot in the minors, a lot of cases because of injury. So when you're one for 22, even if we take out the most recent ones, if you're one for 18 on your first or supplemental first round picks for more than a decade, that's not good. Since they took Roger Pavlik in the second round in 1986, their most successful second round pick is Robbie Ross. They have literally had one productive second round pick in the last 30 years. The point is, if you're one for 18 
on your first or supplemental first round picks. And that's giving the guys who were drafted recently a break and see what they become. And you're essentially one for 30 on your second round picks. That's got to change. And you talk about the Rangers having the draft they did. I mean, let's just be frank. If the Dodgers have this draft, teams who have had demonstrated success in drafting, you'd give them a little more credit. But when it's the Rangers who do this, who just, to be frank, once again, objectively, have had a really, really, really difficult time in the draft, it's hard to give them the benefit of the doubt. But we'll see. Again, I, I do a lot of our West Coast draft stuff. Dylan McLean and Thomas Segesi were two names I got from other organizations as interesting players. These weren't totally off the radar guys, but everyone was surprised to see them drafted where they were and given the bonuses they were. So time will tell, but the Rangers are in this place because they really have not drafted well. They've done well internationally, but in order for them to turn this around and have a better farm system, it has to start with drafting better. The Rockies, as you've talked about, it's a completely different story. It's really the opposite. They had tremendous farm systems most of the decade. I mean, they were still a top 10 system as recently as 2017. Look at the guys they graduated last decade. Nolan Arenado, Trevor Story, Charlie Blackman, DJ LeMahieu, John Gray, Kyle Freeland, Herman Marquez, Antonio Sensatella, David Dahl. Le- LeMahieu and Marquez were acquired in trades as prospects, but again, they still came up and graduated from the Rockies system. They've had stars. They've had complementary players. So their farm system is down because they've drafted and developed really well. They just graduated a lot of guys. The reason they're where they are in the standings is because of a lot of really bad free agent signings. And now they're just in a place where, okay, you've graduated a lot of really good players. Now you need to backfill it. So for me, it's two completely different reasons they're here. And the Rockies, you feel a lot better about why they're here than the Rangers. And I'm actually going to differ from you a little bit. Um, I'm higher on the Rocky system than a lot of other people. I've talked about this in the podcast. I actually see the top 10. I see 10 legitimately decent players. I think you look at you know, Ryan Valade can hit. He's shown ability to make adjustments. Brenton Doyle's gotten a lot of good reviews. Hell, Chris Olivares is a young lefty up to 97 where the control and secondaries are trending in the right direction. So th- there's not a lot of depth here. You know, once you get into the, the teens, you are talking about a lot of college relievers or young faraway guys who the upside is you can dream on it, but it's realistically probably a dream more than going to be a reality. But I think there are 10 legitimate prospects here. Whereas the Rangers, I I think there's a really good number one. I personally have a lot of questions more than I do on the the Rockies, two to five, uh, two to six even. And I mean, once you get to 10, it's like, I, I just don't know. There's tools, but there's a lot of question marks there. So these are two systems kind of in the same tier as, as you see, they're only one spot apart, but I think the reasons they're here are very different. And to be honest, given the recent history, I'm going to go the other way and say, I feel a little better about the Rockies bouncing back just because they actually have a recent history of success when it comes to drafting and developing the Rangers outside of their international classes, uh, frankly, just don't. But, but that's, you know, that kind of leads us to, the, the, the caboose uh, of our top 30, which is the Washington Nationals. And, and Kyle, the thing that stands out to me, I think that I'm just putting you on a tee for something that you strongly believe, which is, yes, the Washington Nationals are 30th. That's okay. You know, what you just talked about, there are the four different quadrants. The Washington Nationals are in the quadrant of the glow from a World Series, you can still see that World Series trophy, the glow off of it's still really bright. And not only that, it's not like that they got there without producing stuff. Like they got there through trades and production from their minor league system. And now the bill comes due on that. You pick at the end of the draft, you've traded to win a World Series and so that's where you are now, where uh, you have a thin farm system that doesn't have a whole lot of uh, potential top 100 prospects. You hit the nail on the head there. And I'm going to say something that might come off overly blunt, but it just needs to be said. If you are a Nationals fan and you look at the farm system rankings and see the Nationals are number 30 and that makes you angry, your priorities are in the wrong place. This is why the Nationals are number 30. 
They had a top five farm system in 2016 that included Juan Soto, Trey Turner, Victor Robles, Lucas Giolito, Ronaldo Lopez. And that year in the draft, they added Jesus Lazardo, Dane Dunning, and Sheldon Noisy. They successfully graduated Juan Soto, Trey Turner, and Victor Robles. They used Giolito, Lopez, Lazardo, Dunning, and Noisy in key trades to get them players that would put them over the top and won a World Series because of it. Victor Robles and Juan Soto, Robles is 23, Soto's 22. They're younger than a lot of players in the BA Prospect Handbook. You could still have them in your system and you'd have a higher farm system ranking, but you would not have a World Series trophy, which is the point of all of this. The Nationals are number 30. And let's be clear, not only are they number 30, they were a very clear number 30. When we put in the math, plugged in the numbers and, and looked at the grades on the players and prospect valuations, they're 30 with room to spare. And that is a good thing. It means they did every single thing right. With that, this doesn't mean this farm system is empty. I have a story coming out next week that's actually about this, that even the number 30 farm systems typically produce still some pretty good players, including a couple all-stars. Cade Cavalli and Jackson Rutledge are two very, very good starting pitching prospects. Cade Cavalli was right on the cusp of our top 100. Jackson Rutledge has been in the 100 before. He's right there. Cole Henry, their second rounder last year, was an accomplished pitcher at a major program at LSU. Yasiel Antuna, by all accounts, looked really, really good at the alternate training site. He's finally healthy. So being number 30 doesn't mean your system is empty. There are players here to work with. The point is just, even with that, when you compare the players they have to work with compared to all the other systems and really a lack of depth beyond, you know, the, the top couple guys, this was again, very clearly number 30 and that is okay. They did everything right. And everyone in that front office should be proud of what they've accomplished. We had this discussion a few years ago. I, I remember in 2019, the Red Sox were number 30 and the Cubs were 29 in our farm system rankings. And you would have thought the world exploded. I mean, Red Sox fans, Cubs fans, they were mad. They were angry. And I just couldn't get over it in the sense of, guys, this is a good thing. Here's why the Red Sox fell to number 30. They had a top five farm system many years in a row. From that, they graduated Mookie Bet, Xander Bogarts, Jackie Bradley, Andrew Benintendi, Rafael Devers, used Yohan Moncada, Michael Kopech, Manny Margot, and trades for stars like Chris Sale and Craig Kimbrell, and won a World Series because of it. Cubs, the same thing. They had a top five farm system many years in a row. From that system, they graduated Chris Bryant, Javier Baez, Wilson Contreras, Jorge Soler, Kyle Schwarber, Addison Russell, Albert Almora, Carl Edwards, all of whom played big roles on their World Series championship team. And Kyle Hendricks was actually still a prospect when they had a top five farm system in 2014. He was part of that farm system ranking as well. Plus, you trade guys like Glaber Torres for a Rollis Chapman, without whom, again, you do not win a World Series. Trade some other guys, like Dan Vogelbach from Mike Montgomery. Later on, there were trades. Obviously, Eloy Jimenez was a big one. Jaimar Candelario, Isaac Paredes. And they brought back veterans that, again, while they didn't lead them to a World Series, those guys still helped them make the playoffs five of the last six years. So the point is, farm systems that fall because you've graduated a ton of talent and traded away some other talent to win a World Series, there's nothing to be angry about. So... The Nationals are in the same group as this Cubs and this Red Sox. They had a top five farm system. They got that farm system, the, the meat of it into the majors, traded some of it to get veterans to put them over the top. And there's a pennant flying in center field because of it. If you want a higher farm system ranking, the trade-off is you have to turn back in that World Series trophy. And if anyone says they would rather have the higher farm system ranking, again, their priorities are in the wrong place because that's the trade we're talking about. You do not win a World Series if Victor Robles and Juan Soto are still in your system and you have a higher farm system rank. The, 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 the thing I could kind of would, would end with on this is the other thing is anyone looking at this and you're a fan of your team and you think my team should rank higher, it's because you know your system. We talk about this in our office. If I do, like I did this year, the Cardinals list, the Reds list, the Rays list, 
I'm going to think when I start, generally, unless it's a really bad system, I'm going to think that the red system is better than everyone else does, generally, because you get to know these players. And if I'm a fan of whatever system, if I'm a fan of the national system, I'm going to think generally, if I know that system, I'm going to think what you just said. You know what? I think that there are guys in this system that they're under ranking. I think that Cole Henry could be really good. I think that Mason Denenberg could have a step forward this year. I think that, you know, we, we haven't seen the best of what we're going to see from Drew Mendoza, you know, who had some productive years, you know, when he was in college. Absolutely. But what is often lost in that, which is fine as a fan, is that deep, that pulling back that perspective Everything that we just rattled off about the national system there, I can make the exact same arguments about similar type players in every other system. And that doesn't mean that you're not right that some of these guys are going to get better. Some of these guys are going to be better prospects a year from now. I hope they all are. We root for prospects. We don't root for prospects to fail. But that said, there's the... Every other team has their version of Drew Mendoza and we can construct the same cases for them. And so the reality of it is, is that every system, when you dive into it, if you have a little optimism to what players could do to rise up list, that's always true with almost every organization ever. The Astros in like, Oh nine, maybe it wasn't because I remember with that list, there were literally players on it. You're like, I just read what the optimistic hope is, is and the optimistic hope you just laid out for this guy is, is that he could be a triple a utility man. And it's like, yeah, that's pretty much what he is. Okay. Well, moving on, you know, but take that out of it. Other than that, every one of these systems, you can absolutely craft those cases. But the thing about it is, is that to circle it to kind of what you just said, every one of these systems has future major leaguers. That makes you a farm system. If you have, which this year you're going to have 180 players on a domestic minor league rosters, saying that there are 30 players in that system who are going to play in the majors someday doesn't make you special. It makes you average, utterly normal. Not even which, average. It makes you at the bottom end of average, does it not? Well, so I have the story coming out next week that I looked into this and how many guys in a farm system ever touched the major leagues, even for one day. I was surprised at how high the number is, but the average was 35. Now, less than a third of them play the equivalent of three major league seasons, but I was, I was surprised looking back at the data from 1998 to 2012, consider this a tease for next week. I have the main story coming out and then some supplementary stories coming out after it. But yeah, the average farm system from 1998 to 2012 had 35 players in it that reached the major leagues just for one day. Again, the number of guys who mm -hmm. stayed in the majors was significantly less, but just even got there for a one game, a call up at some point in their lives, the average was 35, which surprised me. Going in, I thought it'd be a lot, lot lower, but the data told me otherwise. And again, everything we do at VA is, is rooted as much as possible in data and precedent and objective things because scouting and player evaluation is inherently subjective. So you try to make things as objective as possible when you can. So, but that's, you know, that's my, my end point on this is, is that, Absolutely. If you're a fan of a team, you think that we underranked your org by, you know, some spots. Okay. You may be right. You know, I mean, we, it, it is absolutely possible. And we know that we are coming off of a year that is hopefully absolutely the aberration that we'll ever deal with. We had no minor league season last year. I am so looking forward to having games again so that we can start diving into actual performance again, seeing what players can do in real games. Man, I'm looking forward to that day. I'm just counting down the days. We should, you know, we should get minor league schedules next week. We can start dreaming a little bit more. I can start planning out that crazy road trip I want to do this, you know, this year. Don't, you know, later in the year. But I'm I'm looking forward to it. It's but we hope you would enjoy the org talent rankings 
it is a fun culmination of kind of all the stuff we do in the lead up on prospects. And by the way, it is worth noting the top thirties, we're going to add in, we're gathering information on the international signings, which are still, by the way, trickling in are still becoming official. And so we're going to do a further update to our top thirties to add in the January 15th. I'm still getting adjusted to that. Not July two anymore, the January 15th signings. So we have those coming up at baseball America in the next month or so. Yes, we do. There's a lot of good content coming up and obviously spring training opens up here in a few weeks. So we'll have a lot of content about prospects, how they're performing there. At least the prospects who are there, obviously camps are going to be a little bit different this year. As JJ has reported players at double A and below are going to be coming into their own camps later, probably in April. So right now it's just major league and the triple A guys, but there's still prospects. We'll be keeping an eye on all of them. JJ, once again, thank you so much. We appreciate your insight and expertise as always. Let's do this again next week. That we will. All right, everyone. That'll do it for another edition of the Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For JJ Cooper, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody. 